Chapter twenty three of Young People's Treasury, Volume six Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. On the Road in Russia by D. Mackenzie Wallace. Whilst I was considering how I could get beyond the sphere of West European languages, a friend came to my assistance and suggested that I should go to his estate in the province of Novgorod, where I should find an intelligent, amiable parish priest, quite innocent of any linguistic acquirements. This proposal I at once adopted, and accordingly found myself one morning at a small station of the Moscow Railway, endeavouring to explain to a peasant in sheep's clothing that I wished to be conveyed to Ivanovka, the village where my future teacher lived. At that time I still spoke Russian in a very fragmentary and confused way pretty much as spanish cows are popularly supposed to speak french my first remark therefore being literally interpreted was ivanovkov horses you can the point of interrogation was expressed by a simultaneous raising of the voice and the eyebrows ivanovkov said the peasant in an interrogatory tone of voice in russia as in other countries the peasantry when speaking with strangers like to repeat questions apparently for the purpose of gaining time ivanovkov i replied now now after some reflection the peasant nodded and said something which i did not understand but which i assumed to mean that he was open to consider proposals for transporting me to my destination rubles how many to judge by the knitting of the brows and the scratching of the head i should say that that question gave occasion to a very abstruse mathematical calculation gradually the look of concentrated attention gave place to an expression such as children assume when they endeavour to get a parental decision reversed by means of coaxing then came a stream of soft words which were to me utterly unintelligible how many i repeated ten said the peasant in a hesitating apologetic way as if he were more than half ashamed of what he was saying ten i exclaimed indignantly two enough and waving my hand to indicate that i should be no party to such a piece of extortion i re-entered the station as i reached the door i heard him say master master eight but i took no notice of the proposal i must not weary the reader with a detailed account of the succeeding negotiations which were conducted with extreme diplomatic caution on both sides as if a cession of territory or the payment of a war contribution had been the subject of discussion three times he drove away and three times returned each time he abated his pretensions and each time i slightly increased my offer at last when i began to fear that he had finally taken his departure and had left me to my own devices he re-entered the room and took up my baggage indicating thereby that he agreed to my last offer the sum agreed upon four roubles would have been under ordinary circumstances more than sufficient for the distance which was only about twenty miles but before proceeding far i discovered that the circumstances were by no means ordinary and i began to understand the pantomimic gesticulation which had puzzled me during the negotiations heavy rain had fallen without interruption for several days 
and now the track on which we were travelling could not without poetical license be described as a road in some parts it resembled a watercourse in others a quagmire and at least during the first half of the journey i was constantly reminded of that stage in the work of creation when the water was not yet separated from the dry land during the few moments when the work of keeping my balance and preventing my baggage from being lost did not engross all my attention i speculated on the possibility of constructing a boat carriage to be drawn by a swift-footed hippopotamus or some other animal that feels itself at home equally on land and in water on the whole the project seemed to me then as useful and as feasible as fourier's idea of making whales play the part of tug-steamers fortunately for us our two lean wiry little horses did not object to being used as aquatic animals they took the water bravely and plunged through the mud in gallant style the telega in which we were seated a four-wheeled skeleton cart did not submit to the ill-treatment so silently it creaked out its remonstrances and entreaties and at the more difficult spots threatened to go to pieces but its owner understood its character and capabilities and paid no attention to its ominous threats once indeed a wheel came off but it was soon fished out of the mud and replaced and no further casualty occurred the horses did their work so well that when about midday we arrived at a village i could not refuse to let them have some rest and refreshment all the more as my own thoughts had begun to turn in that direction the village as villages in that part of the country generally consisted of two long parallel rows of wooden houses the road if a stratum of mud more than a foot in depth can be called by that name formed the intervening space all the houses turned their gables to the road and some of them had pretensions to architectural decoration in the form of rude perforated woodwork between the houses and in a line with them were great wooden gates and high wooden fences separating the courtyards from the road into one of these yards near the farther end of the village our horses turned of their own accord an inn i said in an interrogative voice the driver shook his head and said something in which i detected the word friend evidently there was no hostelry for man and beast in the village and the driver was using a friend's house for the purpose the yard was flanked on the one side by an open shed containing rude agricultural implements which might throw some light on the agriculture of the primitive aryans and on the other side by the dwelling house and stable both the house and stable were built of logs nearly cylindrical in form and placed in horizontal tiers two of the strongest of human motives hunger and curiosity impelled me to enter the house at once without waiting for an invitation i went up to the door half protected against the winter snows by a small open portico and unceremoniously walked in the first apartment was empty but i noticed a low door in the wall to the left and passing through this entered the principal room as the scene was new to me i noted the principal objects in the wall before me were two small square windows looking out upon the road and in the corner to the right nearer to the ceiling than to the floor was a little triangular shelf on which stood a religious picture before the picture hung a curious oil lamp 
in the corner to the left of the door was a gigantic stove built of brick and whitewashed from the top of the stove to the wall on the right stretched what might be called an enormous shelf six or eight feet in breadth this is the so-called palati as i afterward discovered and serves as a bed for part of the family the furniture consisted of a long wooden bench attached to the wall on the right a big heavy deal table and a few wooden stools whilst i was leisurely surveying these objects i heard a noise on the top of the stove and looking up perceived a human face with long hair parted in the middle and a full yellow beard i was considerably astonished by this apparition for the air in the room was stifling and i had some difficulty in believing that any created being except perhaps a salamander or a negro could exist in such a position i looked hard to convince myself that i was not the victim of a delusion as i stared the head nodded slowly and pronounced the customary form of greeting i returned the greeting slowly wondering what was to come next ill very ill sighed the head i'm not astonished at that i remarked in an aside if i were where you are i should be very ill too hot very hot i remarked interrogatively nichevo that is to say not particularly this remark astonished me all the more as i noticed at that very moment that the body to which the head belonged was enveloped in a sheepskin after living some time in russia i was no longer surprised by such incidents for i soon discovered that the russian peasant has a marvellous power of bearing extreme heat as well as extreme cold when a coachman takes his master or mistress to the theatre or to a party he never thinks of going home and returning at an appointed time hour after hour he sits placidly on the box and though the cold be of an intensity such as is never experienced in our temperate climate he can sleep as tranquilly as the lazarone at midday in naples in that respect the russian peasant seems to be first cousin to the polar bear but unlike the animals of the arctic regions he is not at all incommoded by excessive heat on the contrary he likes it when he can get it and never omits an opportunity of laying in a reserve supply of calorie he even delights in rapid transitions from one extreme to the other as is amply proved by a curious custom which deserves to be recorded the reader must know that in the life of the russian peasantry the weekly vapor bath plays a most important part it has even a certain religious signification for no good orthodox peasant would dare to enter a church after being soiled by certain kinds of pollution without cleansing himself physically and morally by means of the bath in the weekly arrangements it forms the occupation for saturday afternoon and care is taken to avoid thereafter all pollution until after the morning service on sunday many villages possess a public or communal bath of the most primitive construction but in some parts of the country i am not sure how far the practice extends the peasants take their vapor bath in the household oven in which the bread is baked in all cases the operation is pushed to the extreme limit of human endurance far beyond the utmost limit that can be endured by those who have not been accustomed to it from childhood for my own part i only made the experiment once and when i informed my attendant that my life was in danger from congestion of the brain he laughed outright and told me that the operation had only begun 
most astounding of all and this brings me to the fact which led me into this digression the peasants in winter often rush out of the bath and roll themselves in snow this aptly illustrates a common russian proverb which says that what is health to the russian is death to the german End of chapter 23